0: Well, Adam, this is exciting because I have not had very many repeat guests on Addiction Unlimited podcast. So I am super stoked to have you back on. I think everybody understands that there's a correlation. Any addicted person, most of us have some food issues. We are compulsive in most things. So, because we are, you know, extreme, we're a hundred percent in or we're a hundred percent out. So anytime that we can talk about food struggles and how to make ourselves better, I'm so open to it. So thank you for coming back on and sharing more tips and strategies with us. Why don't we uh, take a second and tell everybody a little bit about you?
1: Yeah. Well, first off, thanks again for having me on. It was a lot of fun the first time and I'm excited to uh, speak with you again. So I'm the founder of MyBodyTutor.com. We're an online uh, virtual nutrition uh, accountability coaching company. Um, I started it uh, in 2007. So this is uh, 15 years now. And essentially what we do is we devise a diet and exercise plan for you. Uh, You get paired with your very own coach. And then we um, help you stick with it on a daily basis through daily accountability, through uh, daily coaching, daily support, and expert feedback. Uh, been at it for a while. As I said, 15 years, we have, you know, a bunch of coaches that work for us now, which is very cool. You know, and I got, you know, very quickly, I got into health and fitness, uh, just because uh, when I was growing up, my father had a heart attack when I was in seventh grade. Um, and then shortly after he had, uh, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, so seeing him deteriorate mentally and physically throughout the years, until he passed away, it was really, really hard. Um, so I learned firsthand, you know, that health is true wealth. Um, you know, and I I devoted my life to it, um, to helping people, you know, uh, achieve their optimal health.
0: It's something I wish I would have paid more attention to when I was younger, you know, my best friend, Andy, he and I were just talking about this the other day, like the, this attitude of, you know, we're very stubborn people and like never listening to the things people tell you, right. And you hear your whole life because he's also on this, um, wellness journey, right. Fitness and food and everything. And (laughs) everything we're talking about is the stuff you've heard your entire life. And here we are, like, I'm about to turn 50. He's late forties, you know, and we're talking, we're just laughing. It's like, dude, if we only would have listened, you know, (laughs) Yeah, we only would have listened 30 years ago. (laughs) It's so funny. Um, Okay, so one of the things where I thought this would be a really great time to do another episode together is because it is the new year for 2022. And we were talking a few minutes before we hit record that 2021 was an absolute blur. So going into 2022, everybody is a little more committed to making changes in their lives. And I thought it was the perfect time to come on and have this conversation about food and wellness and all of those things. What are some strategies that you use in your company with your clients on making changes after the new year?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the first strategy, you know, and I alluded to before, I mean, it's what we do, but it is so important is you have to have a system of support and accountability right? If you don't have a system of support and accountability, it's going to be really, really hard to get through the inevitable challenges, right? There's going to be inevitable, you know, lows and inevitable times where you feel like, you know, quitting and you're like questioning yourself and saying, why am I doing this? So having that system of support and accountability is truly a game changer. Um, Because we know when we're left to our own devices, when we're left to our own inner voice, that inner voice usually wins. And, you know, I often say like a good coach ideally changes that inner voice and it helps you challenge that inner voice. But without that, you know, that inner voice is going to say, eh, why bother? Or I'll start fresh tomorrow or I'll start fresh next week or whatever it might be. Um, so the first and foremost thing is definitely setting yourself up with a system of accountability and support, you know, because the truth is a lot of people, you know, it, and it's great. They get excited about the new year, you know, 2022, et cetera. But like, just because the date is changing, like, it, or I should say, if the only thing changing is the date, you're not going to change for the long term. There has to be other things. Um, And the biggest thing is having a system of of accountability and support.
0: I had to really start looking at it as a long-term thing too, instead of, because before it was always about how I looked, right? It was always about the weight. Oh, I want to lose X amount of pounds, fit X size, whatever. It was always about superficial nonsense, which is probably really why it wouldn't stick. So for me, I had to get to that place that was like, dude, this is about, Treating your body better. This is about regaining your strength and flexibility and mobility and endurance and all of those things. Like, I want to be playing with my nieces and nephews in 20 years, possibly playing with their kids and able to do that. You know, it really, my mindset had to shift to a much bigger picture for me to be able to stay committed.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, having a compelling vision and really thinking about who you want to be um, and why you want to be that person is so powerful and sure losing weight, looking great is, is great and is important, but like that doesn't usually last. There has to be something way deeper, you know? So for you, you found it to be, you know, your personal freedom ultimately, right? You Mm -hmm. want to be able to move the way you want to move. You want to be able to do what you want to do. You want to be able to play with your nieces and nephews and ideally, you know, hopefully their kids, et cetera. Like, so you found your, um, motivation that lasts. And I think a lot of people, you know, have a short-term motivation, whether it's a vacation or, um, you know, whatever it might be that, that, that as soon as that passes, then their motivation, you know, is fleeting. It's gone. Right. Um,
0: what do you think is the most powerful piece of creating that support and accountability? Is it, just to make you stick to it? Is it the connection? Because I know in my community, I always preach like you have to have a tribe. You don't have to be like me and go start a podcast and shout it from the rooftops that you're sober or an alcoholic, right? Like I get that we can be private, but you do have to have some people that really know who you are and what's happening in your life. And it's, because of the camaraderie and acceptance and the unconditional love that we have for one another. That's the important piece of that accountability and support in my community. What is the importance of it in your community?
1: Well, you know, the importance is for us, our clients sign up because they realize they need something more, right? They realize, you know, their friend, you know, the person they tried to, you know, they promised they would be good with, you know, wasn't working, right? And, I call it the difference between peer accountability and pro accountability, right? It's very, very easy to kind of lie and just let your friend off the hook. You know, my mom is a perfect example. She's a former high school English teacher. Um, She tutored for the SATs. And of course, when it was time for me to take the SATs many, many years ago, um, she wanted to help me and I didn't take it seriously because she's my mom, right? So when you have, you know, a professional whose sole job is to help you be the best version of yourself, help you get out of your own way, um, it changes everything, right? Because they're able to tell you the hard truths. They're able to uh, give you some tough love when necessary, um, and they can see your blind spots, right? And they also know how they are an expert at helping you change your behavior. Because ultimately, what this is is about—it's about behavior modification, right? For sure. So, you know, that's that's the way we approach it.
0: Yeah, I love that. What would you say is the biggest? Struggle you see people go through when they're trying to make changes in this way?
1: Hmm. Um, I think the, that's a really good question. I would say the, there's a, several. I mean, the number one I would say is, is this, um, this idea that they have to be perfect, um, you know, just trying to do everything at once. Um, and, you know, there's so many perfectionists um, that we work with, and they feel like if they can't be perfect, then why bother? And then they wind up not bothering. Right. right, And a big part of what we do is we help people change your mindset. And I always say all or nothing leads to nothing every single time, right? Instead of all or nothing, try to change it to always something um, because and I'm a recovering perfectionist, you know, perfectionists have this idea that like, if they can't, you know, if they can't exercise for one hour, if they can't eat quote unquote perfectly, then again, why bother doing anything, but that's not how life works this is a marathon. It's This is for life, right? So it can't be this on, this on and off switch, right? It can't be turning it off or on. It has to be, let's say you're having a really busy week or month, turning it down instead of turning it off, so to speak.
0: Oh, that's a great way to look at it too. Turning it down, not turning it off. Yeah, because it's easy to just throw in the towel on a whole day. I'll tell you a big struggle I had last year is when I realized that one cheat meal can wipe out your entire calorie deficit for, for a week. It's like, that's not fair, Adam. That is not fair. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but
0: it was also, it was very defeating to me in the moment, you know, when I realized because you like to think, well, I can have a cheat meal. Like that's not a big deal. You know, one cheat meal, like that's probably healthy, like to have a day, I know many years ago when I was younger, Sunday was always my day, right? I didn't go to the gym. I ate whatever I wanted to, like that was my freedom day. Yeah. And you like to think that you can do something like that. It was certainly at my age. It works differently, but um, it was really defeating to, to get caught up in that and go, wow, like it has, does it have to be perfect every minute of every day? I just have to do it exactly right to achieve anything?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, listen, there's no question as we get older, it gets more challenging. Um, but you know, there is certainly room for flexibility, um, in the right plan. Right. And you know, one of our mantras is we want our clients to be fit and happy, not fit and miserable. Right. And for you to never enjoy your cheeseburger and fries and your ice cream again, um, that's are after. I mean, that's, that's the keys to my heart. Um, you know, like I, I refuse to give that up. Right. So we really help our clients work that in Um, But, you know, to your point, yes, as we get older, there's definitely um, perhaps less uh, room for flexibility, but there still is uh, some flexibility because, you know, being quote unquote, perfect all the time is just not sustainable or desirable. Right. Um,
0: Well, and on that age thing too, this is an important thing to point out because I, I was kind of racking my brain for a good year, maybe a little over a year trying to figure out why I was working out so hard and I had made so many changes in my diet and I wasn't seeing like my body was different, but my weight was not. And I certainly wasn't seeing results for the level of change I was making. And so I really had to seek out like realizing, you know, I'm 49 and a half I'm perimenopausal. Like this is a different ball game. I can't just google you know a regular sort of diet lifestyle meal plan it just doesn't work the same so i really had to dig into those components and figure out for my body at this stage of life what works and what doesn't so i just want to point that out for everybody out there because i know i'm not the only one around here you know, midlife and going through this kind of stuff and, and struggling, right? Like it's a struggle because you're like, what the heck is going on? Like I'm working my butt off, you know,
1: for sure. But you know, the, the truth is 80% of weight loss is diet. Um, you know, it's about what, why, and how you eat. This is why you see people working their butts off in the gym, even with the trainer, not looking any different. It's what you do between exercise. Um, you know, and it turns out, you know, most of our eating, You know, or I should say, a big reason why people are overweight with their food is number one, they're eating when they're not actually physically hungry, right? They're emotionally hungry; they're hungry for something else. Um, So, you know, I always say it's it's never about the food; it's about what the food allows us to avoid and/or the void it fills, right? So it's the emotional component. Again, that's a big part of what we help our clients overcome is emotionally eating, stress eating. But it's also, you know, for some people, and no one likes to hear this, but they're just eating more than they think they are. Right. So there's just a lot more calories and a lot more food than they think they're eating. Um, This was crazy
0: for me too. When I started tracking food, because you are a terrible judge of your own behavior in every way, anyway, and food was no different. So again, another one of those things you hear forever, track your food so you can be realistic about and know exactly what you are taking in. I finally did it, you know, tracking my food. And I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs)
1: like
0: like, this is not a pretty picture. (laughs) This is a little too much reality.
1: (laughs) Yeah. A teaspoon of peanut butter is very different than, uh, you know, when you actually measure it out or whatever it might be, you know, portion distortion, is a very real thing. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many people, you know, I talk with on a daily basis that say, you know, Adam, I, you know, I eat perfectly and then, you know, but I can't lose weight. And very, very quickly, because we get to work with our clients on a daily basis, you could see why they're not losing weight. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's all sorts of tips and tricks to make it easier and strategies to make it a little easier. So, you know, the inevitable discomfort you face of any change is a little, or I should say, is way more tolerable.
0: Right. Now I'm going, well, I was going to say, I'm going to assume, but I'm not going to assume because I know it's true um, that you deal with a ton of self-sabotage or people asking, like I have people ask me all the time, even in the drinking realm, like, why am I self-sabotaging? Why can't I get it together? Like I'll do so well for X amount of time. And then it's like, I self-sabotage. What is, what is your experience with self-sabotage?
1: Yeah. So Self-sabotage is ultimately, my definition is fearing the very thing you say you want to accomplish, right? So you're fearing the very thing you say you want to accomplish. So let's take you, Angela, right? You're a business owner. You're doing amazing things. I love what you're doing. You're helping people. Almost every small business owner I've ever spoken to feels like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. They feel like they have a lot of responsibility. They feel like they have very little free time, right? But Let's say, and I know you do, you want to serve more people, you want to help more people, you want to grow. So you have this disconnect, right? There's a part of you that wants to grow, but there's also a part of you that you know, feels like you're overworked, you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, et cetera. So most small business owners, you know, they might read some books, they might hire coaches, they might join groups, whatever it might be. But the problem is on some level, you feel like if you grow, you're going to only be busier, you're going to have less free time, and you're going to have more responsibility. Right. So no matter what you say, you say you want to grow, you say you want to serve more people, but on, on, on some level, you know, that if you grow or you feel you, that if you grow, you're going to, life is going to be worse off, not better. Right. Off, right. Right. So now let's, let's take this to weight loss, right? A lot of people say they want to lose weight, you know, life's going to be better, but on some level, they feel like their life is going to be worse off. Right. So they might think, well, if I lose weight, I have to be in the gym for hours a day. I can never eat my favorite food. Um, you know, I'm going to get uh, all sorts of attention, whatever it might be. There's all sorts of things that get in the way um, that, that, and it's ultimately fear, right? Because we, we fear the very thing we say we want. And it's because on some level, we don't feel like our life will be better. We feel like it's going to be worse off. And it's usually about what we think we're giving up.
0: Oh, so, this is so brilliant. Yeah, this is so good Um, in all of, in all of the topics, you know, it is because I would have never thought of it that way, but yeah, you're exactly right. It is, it's more comfortable to stay the same than to change.
1: Yes. And, you know, until you figure that out, right. So for, you know, going back to the small business owner, the only way a small business owner is going to be able to grow is they have to have the people in place. They have to have the systems in place. They have to believe that they can A, handle the growth and B, if they like when they do, their their, their life's not going to be absolute misery because they have just zero free time. Right. So until they have the people in place, the systems in place, they're never going to be able to put forth all the amazing, brilliant tactics they learn in these books, courses, coaching, et cetera. Right. So for a person for with when it comes to weight loss or alcohol, whatever it might be, you can have all the support in the world, all the coaching, et cetera, but you really have to nail down how your life is going to be better. Um, And a really powerful exercise, and I do this with my clients, is, you know, tell me five ways your life will be better off, right? So five ways your life will be better off, um, five ways your life will be worse off, and then challenge those assumptions. Because usually, almost always, how you think your life will be worse off is a story you tell yourself. It's an assumption. It's a belief, but it's not actually true right? So for example, with weight loss, you don't have to work out for hours a day. You don't have to give up your favorite foods forever. Like those are, those are things people tell themselves to, to to stay where they are.
0: Right. Right. And what came to me, like when you were explaining self-sabotage, what came to me for myself was the maintenance of it, right? Because it feels like It feels like to get this body that I want, and I am realistic, right? Again, I'm of a certain age, like I don't expect to look how I did at 25. Uh, Although, actually, I probably looked my absolute best at 40. Um, But I, I, you know, I'm not having some expectation that I have that body again, right? Things change, and I'm okay with that. But the part that scares me is the maintaining it. It feels so hard to get there. And then I'm like, holy crap, like if I get there, which feels painful, then am I going to have to stay in that pain to maintain it?
1: Right. So that's a really good point. So a few thoughts. Number one, if the way in which you lose weight or if the way in which you change is unsustainable, then of course, by definition, it's not going to be sustainable. So it's really important that what you're doing to lose weight, we'll just use weight loss as an example. What you're doing to lose weight is sustainable, is realistic, is practical. Otherwise you're never going to be able to stick with it. Right. So I obviously don't, I don't believe, you know, in crazy restrictive diets. I don't believe in exercising for hours a day because that's not going to last. Right. My goal with our clients is to make this the last program they ever do. Um, So for you, it would be like, all right, well, how do we make these changes sustainable Um, in terms of the maintenance? I hear you, you know, my counter to that would be, listen, it's easy to exist. It's harder to live and it's even harder to thrive. However, if you ask anyone who's thriving, it is sure as heck worth it, right? For sure, and yeah. there is a price of admission to thrive every single day, right? Every single day, there's certain things you have to do. Um, I, I equate it to like, you know, how long do you, you know, you plan to keep brushing your teeth, hopefully until the day you die, right? If you want nice teeth, if you want, don't want your teeth to rot, you got to keep brushing them until the day you die. So there's certain things, right? And it, 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 there's definitely things required to thrive, but thriving, you know, again, it's well worth it, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely is. And again, that is one of the things where for me, I'm not being in a hurry, right? Because for it to be sustainable, it's the behavior I have to be good at. You know, it is the getting good at saying no to things. It's the getting comfortable, not having 37 desserts at the family gathering, you know, it's it's the behavior. That's what makes it sustainable. And and listen, I'm working on a lot of decades of some bad behavior. So it is, yeah. it's just a long term journey because I do want it to be sustainable. I want to be, I want to do this successfully for the rest of my life. And I'm okay that that's going to take some time to get really good at it. You know, it's going to be a lot of practice,
1: a lot of practice, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of times where you quote unquote mess up, missteps, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the key thing is, as you're doing, which is amazing, is you're sticking with it. Right. And I always say, you know, if you're, if you're driving from California to New York, for example, it's way more effective to go 80 miles an hour than go hundred miles an hour only to burn out. Right. And so many people attempt to go hundred miles an hour. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change my entire life. I'm waking up at 3.00 AM. I'm doing this. I'm eating greens. I'm eating leaves, whatever it might be like these crazy things. And then they burn out within a few days or a week. Right. Slow and steady wins the race and allow yourself, you know, ultimately the humanity to, quote unquote, I don't even like that word, but to mess up, to make mistakes so you kids stick with it, right? Versus saying, all right, I already screwed up. I'll start fresh tomorrow or the next week or next month.
0: Well, I think you always know too, what creates your misstep. Like if I get really honest, when I eat something, I don't really want to eat instead of eating the good thing. I can, I know exactly what the issue is, right? It's that at some point prior, I didn't set myself up for success, right? I didn't have food prepared. I didn't have snacks ready just to grab, to take the edge off of that hunger. And then I let myself get too hungry. And then I'm like F it. And I'm in the drive-through, you know? So I think we always know what our stumbling blocks are. And I say that, you know, failure is feedback. Like it's not failure. It's just giving you feedback of where you need to focus and make a few more tweaks to get better in that area. That's all it is. It's just feedback.
1: Exactly. Yep. Absolutely.
0: So, for people that are really wanting to embark on a food, fitness, wellness journey, what are some really good beginner steps somebody can take to just get started?
1: Yeah. So you said one of them, which is so important. Um, and it's it just often overlooked, but it's really planning and preparing ahead of time, right? Because hunger, like hunger is our enemy. I don't like being hungry. I don't want my clients to be hungry because when we're hungry, we're irrational, right? Everything mm-hmm. looks and sounds good. You know, we get these crazy ideas of, you know, ordering food and, Oh, well, maybe I'll go there. Maybe I'll go to the soup, like you, you got to protect yourself from yourself, right? So preparing ahead will make it so much easier so that you don't let yourself get really hungry. And of course, again, if you get really hungry, you get really irrational. So that's number one. Um, take some time, plan some snacks ahead, prepare them ahead of time. You will set yourself up for success. Um, you know, we all have limited self-control. So we want to use our limited self-control to put ourselves in situations and environments where we don't need self-control. Right? So Amen say yourself up to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's number one. Um, I think another, another another thing that's really uh, powerful um, is, you know, and we we joked around this how you know how, how people say be mindful, et cetera. But everything we're trying to do is about intentionality, being mindful. One of the easiest ways and practical ways is to practice pausing before you eat. Just take a deep breath you know, slow down for a sec and ask yourself, like, do I really want this? Am I hungry? Or am I eating to change the way I feel? Am I hungry? Or am I eating to change the way I feel? And just give yourself that gift of a breath. I mean, how often do we just stop what we're doing? We're going a million miles a minute, just stop and take a deep breath and just allow yourself to catch yourself. Right? Do I really want this? Am I hungry? Or am I eating to change the way I feel? Um, That is so powerful, because so much of the eating we do, Uh, Is emotional eating, stress eating, mindless eating, right? We want to give ourselves a chance to catch ourselves. Yeah. And
0: comfort eating.
1: Yes. (laughs) They call
0: it comfort food for a reason. Absolutely. (laughs) And I just Uh, want to point out, too, because you said um, intentionality. And I just want to stop on that word for a minute because. I know we like this is such a buzzword right now, too, for sure. Intentional, be intentional. (laughs) But nobody ever tells you what that really means, right? So being intentional. And I know my listeners have heard me talk about this in other episodes, but being intentional means that you are choosing to do something intentionally. You are making a choice on purpose. So when I choose my food, I'm being intentional. Like when I go grocery shopping, right. Or I get my groceries delivered. I, I am purposeful in how I make my grocery list. I don't keep ice cream in my house because for starters, it would last four seconds and it would be gone. Right. But I don't keep cookies. I don't keep crackers, like all the things that I love, but I don't want to be eating that stuff because it makes me feel terrible. So I am intentional about what I bring into my home. So I just wanted to cover intentionality, like be intentional, do it on purpose, choose with intention.
1: Very smart. I like that. And, you know, I think to add to that, I would say, If we were trying to figure out or set up our environment so we're not intentional, what would we do, right? We'd have cookies everywhere. We'd have ice cream in the freezer. We'd have the crackers out in the counter, right? We would set our, that's that's the type of environment we would have if we didn't want to be intentional with our eating. So we want to set our environment up as well so that we can be intentional, right? For me, I also think about, you know, just scrolling on my phone, right? Do I want to be on my phone right now? Do I want to be on social media, on Instagram, whatever it might be? Is Am I choosing to do this, or is this kind of just a default behavior? And the easiest way to change that default behavior is to change your environment.
0: Right. Right. And listen, even me having my groceries delivered is intentional because if I go wander around the store, I promise you I'm going to end up getting a bunch of stuff that I don't want or need. So people right. think I get my groceries delivered just because I'm spoiled, but it really is. It's a self-control thing for me. It's like, I don't need to go roam the store and talk myself into you know, potato chips and ice cream and all the things that I really love. And I'll tell myself, oh, I'll just have a little bit. Yeah. Just that in itself is being intentional. Just let me make my grocery list, have it delivered, and I don't have to worry about it.
1: Much easier to say no in front of your computer or even at the supermarket than it is once it's home, right? Once it's in your house, it's going to get eaten.
0: Especially like once I've eaten, like I'm not hungry. I'm not in a mood when I'm doing it. Right. So I'm not searching for any kind of emotional payoff from my food. Um, Yeah. And that all of that is being intentional.
1: Yeah. I love that.
0: So setting up your environment, plan and prepare, pause before you eat, set up your environment.
1: Yeah. I also think it's, you know, understanding your triggers, right? So defining your triggers is really powerful as well, because like you said, we all know when we're kind of not setting ourselves up for success, but if you can identify your triggers ahead of time, right? So it might be, you know, your partner is, you know, not giving you the appreciation or the affection or attention you need, or your boss is being a jerk, or your clients are overwhelming you, or whatever it might be, if you can understand your triggers and come up with, different ways to respond to those triggers, then you will be setting yourself up for, for success. Um, Because we all have those default things where something triggers us, something annoying happens, something bothers us, whatever it might be. And we have this default behavior. And of course we're all trying to change some of these behaviors, right? Or at least the ones that we don't like that are not serving us. So first step is identifying those triggers. When do you stumble the most? Right. And then I label those, Write them all out, and then you can come up with different types of ways to, you know, respond to those triggers. That's
0: awesome. Any other advice you would have for anybody starting this journey and, and like really coming from bad behavior, like myself, (laughs) you know, where you're really changing a lot of behavior? Like I say. You can't be a person that goes to the gym five days a week. If you're not even a person that goes to the gym for five minutes, you know, so start small, like don't go into the all or nothing thing. And that's what I see people do so frequently, uh, even in the addiction realm, right? Because we do a lot of goal setting and stuff, but saying, okay, I'm going to work out six days a week for two hours, every single day, I'm going to do an hour weights and an hour of cardio. I'm cutting out sugar, uh, you know, all these things I'm like, whoa, Dude, that's crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, like, I pick 25% of one of those things and <laughs> just focus there, you
1: know? Starting small is really powerful. The the challenge is our brain is wired to think it's not good enough, right? So it feels mm-hmm. like we have to make bigger changes and there's always going to be this party that says it's not enough, it's not worth it, and you have to catch yourself and challenge yourself because the goal is long-term change, not short-term change, right? I don't care about, you know, my clients losing weight, you know, for a month and then gaining all back. I want this to right. be the last time they ever lose weight. And the only way to do that is to really change your behavior, change what's going on between your ears, right? As we call it your MPH, your mindset, psychology, and habits, um, and, and and allowing yourself to really build the habit and making sure it's second nature versus a willpower-based thing, right? A willpower-based thing to me is just like, you're willing yourself to exercise or do this for X, Y, or Z. Like, no, it has to truly feel like second nature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It has to be a lifestyle. Yeah. And I think too, sometimes it's okay to do more if you want to do more. But for me, when I set a certain plan in motion, I am sticking to that plan no matter what, you know, like when I started my fitness thing, I was doing all classes because it was coronavirus too. So, you know, gyms were once they reopened um, it was kind of crazy, but the deal I made with myself was I was going to do one or two classes a week. And if I started the class, I had to finish the class. That was it. Mm -hmm. That was it. I didn't like carve it out. It has to be these days. It has to be this length of time. But if I started, I had to finish. I could rest as many times as I needed to. So I didn't die. Um, but I had to stay to the end because that's a challenge for me. I've been a quitter my whole life. As soon as it gets uncomfortable, I bail. So that was huge. And I just told myself, if you want to do more classes, you know, if you want to do more exercise through the week, you can, but you're not going back on the deal you set with yourself. You know, there's, there's no cut, there's no shortcuts, but I can do more, but there's no shortcutting my deal with myself.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think, you know, you also touched upon something that's really, really important is that any change by nature is going to feel uncomfortable, yes. right? If you do, what you've always done, it's going to feel comfortable. That's just the way it is. If you do, what you've always done, it'll feel comfortable. If you do something differently by nature, it's going to feel uncomfortable. And I think the word discomfort, I think the word uh, uncomfortable gets such a bad rap. But to me, the way I approach it is it simply means you're doing something different. And that's a good thing because if you do, what you've always done, you're going to keep getting the same results. If you do something different, then you're going to get different results. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, if there is discomfort, then you're, then you're going to, you know, you're improving, right? You're changing direction. And that's why I always say discomfort is our compass. And, you know, what you did, which was really smart is you did these classes where it's really hard to walk out of a class when you're feeling uncomfortable, right? Like it's, it's much harder to walk out with people around or, you know, online or whatever versus you just being by yourself. You know, it's a, it's a form of accountability.
0: Yeah. And, you know, another thing that really helped me was having to show up at a certain time because in COVID, we had to reserve our spots for our classes because they could only have so many people in the room. Right. So I had to reserve it. Right. And it was that accountability of knowing I had to be there at a certain time instead of leaving it to my brain where I'll go, oh, you know what? I can go later. I'll go later today. I don't need to go right now. And then I won't go. So that was a really good piece for me, too. And I did actually, I just want to say this for my listeners, because I feel like they don't understand how bad it was when I started. But I literally had a lady in one of my classes in the very beginning, like when the class ended, she's like, "Are you okay?" I didn't know if I needed to call somebody <laughs> because I was sitting down. Like I was just so out of shape, but that was my deal with myself. I could sit down if I needed to. I knew I wouldn't be able to do everything in the classes because I hadn't worked out in a long time. And I didn't realize how bad I was until I got there, but that's how bad it was. Like she literally thought she needed to like flag down medical help for me (laughs) because I was sitting on my mat, but I didn't leave because that was my deal with myself. I rested. I got some water. And when I could, I got right back into the workout and I stayed to the end.
1: That's amazing. That's great. So
0: freaking hard. But I don't mind a little public humiliation, Adam. I proved that in my drinking life. I don't mind some humiliation. I'm good at it. I'm good at that discomfort. (laughs) But I think, too, discomfort, being uncomfortable is almost how I know I'm probably doing it right. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Like, it needs to be uncomfortable. That's a really good sign that you're on the right path. Because, yeah, my comfort zone was gross. And... And uncomfortable in its own way, right? But I certainly don't want to stay there.
1: There's no question about it. Discomfort is our compass. And you know, something you know, I think a lot about is like our I call it TFD, our tolerance for discomfort, right? Our TFD, our tolerance for discomfort. The more TFD we have, the more successful we'll be, the more we'll be able to get to where we want to be. Amen. You know, part of that is working on ways to improve your TFD. And Obviously, I'm biased, but I've been at this for 15 years now. I believe in it more than anything in my life. You know, having a coach, having support, having accountability, having people around you can really help you improve your TFD, but it also helps you get through the discomfort because, of course, discomfort is hard. If it was yeah. easy, we'd all do it, right? If right. change was so easy, we'd all do it. We'd all do it on our own. So, you know, I, I just think, though, the more you can, you know, improve your TFD, uh, your tolerance for discomfort, the more successful you'll be. There's, there's no doubt about it.
0: Amen to that, Adam. Thank you so much again for coming on and doing this episode with me. It's so good to have you back and good to see you. I'm glad you've survived coronavirus and all of its never-ending drama.
1: <laughs> I, I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun, you know. And if you guys want to check me out, you know, go to uh, you know mybodytutor.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. You can always shoot me an email. Um, I'm on all the socials. Most active on Instagram and Facebook at mybodytutor as well and uh you know i love what you're about angela i think what you do is amazing and uh, this was a lot of fun so thank you again thank you you've reached the end of another great episode of the addiction unlimited podcast candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.